Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. This week, we bring you a double feature from the medical profession. Dr. Giggles and the Dentist. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MN Drive-In Pod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to themidnightdrivein at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food or drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Drive away your worries and cares at this drive-in theater. That's why, to familiarize you with the movie rating symbols which will be used by this theater, we present the following guide for parents and young people. X, no one under 17 admitted. Should probably check the email just in case. Oh, Because my hope is that Eric will send us something, but even with this new address, it'll still send it to the spam folder, which would be hilarious. Yeah. That's actually significantly better than if he sends it, comes through. <laughs> Damn it, nothing. Don't even get spam. depressing that we don't get spam That's how just <laughs> it's basically like I'm just saying like yeah you're you're not worth it you're not even worth a computer program sending you something some kind of a weird like algorithm it's like ah that's probably a fake address that it gets used for anything <laughs> See the new uh, Terminator trailer? No. Oh, there's like a red band one they put up. Uh. From what I could tell, the only reason it's red band, I guess. I mean, I guess there's a couple shots of whatever, whatever, whatever this new Terminator is called. I don't know. The endoskeleton covered by the liquid metal. This is a couple shots of him stabbing some people, but otherwise they just say fuck like four times in the trailer, and that seems to be the only reason it's a red band trailer. It's good enough, I guess. It's uh, they're trying to use the fact it's R rated, right? Yeah, supposedly it's the first R rated one since Terminator Three. They seem to be wanting to use that in the marketing. I, I'm more concerned with whether it's good than whether it's R-rated, so... Yeah. I don't know. I don't have high hopes, but... Because I think, I, literally, from what I could tell from the trailers, from what, I, what I've put together is that they kill off John Connor as a kid, but then some other person becomes the leader of the human revolution. So now we got to protect her. And I'm like, that's just kind of dumb. That seems like it's just a lack of faith in uh, mm-hmm. Edward Furlong. It's like, oh, we were gonna just, yeah. We 
we're going to just bring everybody back, but yeah, that's not going to work out. So. <laughs> well, apparently he did something for the movie. He was he was seen on set, but yeah, I don't know what he would be doing. Because from what I heard, I thought they were going to do like a uh, like a kid actor, and then like. CGI his face over top of him. That's like very 90s technology. That's a nice throwback to back when Terminator films were good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's... I don't know. It's gonna be weird. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's gonna be better than the last one. Yeah, which I was really excited about that one. Because I'm just oh, like... They're gonna go back to the first movie. And they can change everything because it's a fucking time travel movie, so that makes sense. Okay, that's a good idea. Now you can sort of start another version of it from technically the first movie. Yeah. But then they fucked that all up. I mean, the first beginning of that movie, when they were recreating the first movie, worked Mm -hmm. really well, too. Like, oh, I was right into it. Like, let's make the last half fucking as terrible as humanly imaginable. Let's make the last half have people sitting around wishing that Christian Bale was back. That'll be fun. <laughs> yeah, it made no sense to me. I'm just like, all right, so you did you did a cool concept, and now you just uh, you're just gonna shit the bed with. Hey, guess what? John Connor's a Terminator. That's stupid. <sighs> God, I hated that. Right. I think, like, controversial statement here, but I think literally the Terminator movies have just gotten worse every time. Like, mm. they just keep getting worse and worse. I think literally, if I was ranking them in order, like, one's the best one, then two's good, then three, mm. then four, then five. So hopefully they'll break the mold, and this won't be the worst one yet. That is kind of controversial. I think some people would think the second one would be the best one. Yeah, most people are all wrong. <laughs> but yeah, pretty much after that, they're just... It's I don't a, think anybody really argues after that. Some people a, might like one more three. It's a, it's a steep slope, just down, yeah. after the second one. <sighs> yeah, I don't know. Is there anything else coming out you're excited for? Star Wars. Well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'll be excited for that until the day after it drops, and then when they announce the next Star Wars thing, I'll be excited for that. So, <laughs> I'm actually pretty excited for Zombie Land too, but I have a feeling I'm going to end up disappointed. Yeah, that's my thought too. They brought back the original. They got all four of the original cast members back, and then mm-hmm. I don't know. Woody Harrelson's not doing it for the money, so. I just, I like that in the trailer they list off all of their accomplishments since the last movie. I know. Being nominated for Oscars and shit. It's hilarious. Yeah, I just, I, I almost feel like it's been too long. Yeah, but then again, what if it hasn't been too long? What if it's been the exact right amount of time? <laughs> 
I don't know. I I have high hopes but low expectations, which is yeah. It's probably the best way to go. So that's how I, I went into uh, that's how I went into Jay and Bob. Low expectations. Yeah, I guess we, are we talking about that right now, or are we talking about it later? Yeah, we'll talk about it later. Yeah, but I'm just saying it's a oh, good everyone, state to be in. Yeah, everyone can guess what I think about that movie anyway. It's not going to be <laughs> rocket science to see through. So. Uh, two movies we can talk about is The Dentist and Doctor Giggles. Are nice medical horror movies that we're doing for this episode? Yeah. I'm sure everybody's figured out Noah's not here. He's on vacation. Yeah. This is our secondary theme for this week, by the way, is the uh, movies from the 90s where they use that shot from inside the mouth with the fake teeth. <laughs> That's true. Because I forgot that. The, I knew that was going to happen in The Dentist. I forgot it shows up in Dr. Giggles. So. <laughs> the funny thing is they only they had to reuse the same one over and over again in The Dentist. But, yeah. Uh, you only needed it once in Dr. Giggles, I guess. Yeah, budgets for not their strong suit with the dentist. <laughs> well, let's get into it. Do you want to do the dentist or Dr. Giggles? Doesn't matter. All right, well, tell us about the dentist and the, and the budgetary restraints of the dentist. <laughs> well, I didn't actually look into the dentist, but uh, Corbin Burnson of Major League fame mm-hmm. is, uh, plays a clearly mentally unstable dentist. Um he finds out that his wife is cheating on him and he basically goes crazy and goes goes into the office and just starts torturing his patients including <laughs> stabbing a little kid and sexually assaulting a woman whose manager is played by uh, Mark Ruffalo yeah and uh, I don't uh, it's you want the rest of the plot I don't know he tortures a few people <laughs> no <laughs> he tortures some other people but in the process of all this he makes the silly mistake of killing a dog which is when society finally starts hunting him down nobody does anything about the fact that he's torturing people and sexually assaulting them but when he shoots a dog they call in Ken Forey and uh, send him on the uh, on the hunt for the dog killer and uh, he tracks him down and eventually is able to uh, apprehend him in shockingly non-violent fashion, therefore leaving it open for a sequel. Oh, yeah. The thing I find hilarious is that not only is his wife cheating on him, she's cheating on him with the gross pool guy. Yeah. And you would think, like, oh, that she must she must really need sex or something. But no, he just catches her blowing him, so she's not even getting anything out of it. <laughs> well, <laughs> I feel the implication is that maybe this was an ongoing thing. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it just seems just, like, like uh, okay, this seems kind of one-sided, but whatever. Yeah, I don't know. I thought it was hilarious that like the bull guy like finishes up with her, and uh, the dentist follows him to the next house, and he just immediately moves on to the next house wife. Like he's just <laughs> <laughs> living the, uh, the typical porno lifestyle here of just. <laughs> Him and the pizza boy just making the rounds in the neighborhood, I guess. <laughs> yeah, this is when the dog gets shot for yeah. stupid reasons. It's like the dog was fine, and then he kept well, messing the dog with the fence. Him. He, he almost, he's, 
was just trying to get back there. He was just trying to shoot the bull boy, not the dog. His intentions were never to kill the dog. <laughs> shoot the pool boy, everybody be okay with it. Yeah. Would anybody have a problem with that pool boy being shot? He's just... <laughs> that's the thing of this movie. The atmosphere that's created in this movie is just that, like, sort of cartoonish, over-the-top nature of everything. So mm-hmm. that pool boy is just this over-the-top villain. It's like... He barely does his job as a pool boy. He's just traveling the neighborhood, sleeping with other people's wives. There's no indication that he ever sleeps with a woman who's not married. So it's just like, yeah, go kill that guy. That'll be fine. <laughs> then it takes like an hour and a half to get around to killing him. <laughs> yeah, I was not expecting to see Mark Ruffalo in this movie. It seems no, like, he, like even back then he had better things he should have been doing than being in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> the character he plays too is like he's trying to play a tough guy but he's Mark Ruffalo and without CGI he's not very good at playing tough guys (laughs) and it was weird too because on the one hand he's like like he's sort of this like tough guy but he's also sort of supposed to be the sleazy agent for that model Mm -hmm. and so yeah he like gets super defensive and punches out the dentist for having the nerve to do whatever to his girlfriend or model or whatever but on the other hand, there's that weird scene where he starts getting, like, the teenage girl to model for him in the room, and I'm like, that's not cool, man. Like, that's not... <laughs> like, I, they never get into it, and we never learn what his intentions were with that teenage girl. Maybe he was just trying to sign a client, and he saw something in her. But it really, it didn't feel right. It did, Don't approach no. teenage girls in the waiting room at a dentist office and ask them no. to model for you. No, and this is the weirdest waiting room for a dentist everybody just kind of hangs out <laughs> like it was sure how much interaction there was between the patients yeah because like sure he's running late because you know he's busy shooting dogs and doing whatever but everybody's just sitting uh girls getting her braces off and her parents apparently just drop her off or she takes the bus or whatever and then just yeah. has to sit there for like five hours waiting Oh, she, yeah, and, like, I understand that teenagers are impulsive and that maybe this, like, 13-year-old girl who's getting her braces off would want to go early. Mm-hmm. But wouldn't somebody say if your appointment's at one thirty, going early means one fifteen, not 8.30? <laughs> like, her her appointment was at one thirty, and she's there when they open at 8.30 in the morning. That's nuts. <laughs> no. That's crazy. And, I mean, they... They are te- they are teasing the whole time. Like it's clear that as he gets crazier, we're moving towards the dentist being alone in the room with this girl who just wants her braces taken off. Mm-hmm. So you know that is kind of the tension of the movie, and I think it works pretty well. But it's built on this kind of crazy <laughs> premise that she just comes in like hours upon hours early, and she does it two days in a row. I know <laughs> because they have to cancel it and they move it to the next day, and once again shows up super early. I'm just like, this doesn't make any sense whatsoever. I like when they're closing at the office, too, and she's like, but I, I'm i not getting picked up for a while. Like, can I hang out? <laughs> it's like, you have the worst parents ever. Maybe you are better going with this skeezy agent guy. Yeah. Maybe Mark Ruffalo can uh, help you get emancipated and start your career early. <laughs> Ugh. so weird 
Yeah, it's then a Mark weird fucking movie. <laughs> That's true. And then uh, yeah, Mark Ruffalo just hangs out waiting for his client, but then they're there for like a couple hours before anything even happens with them. Yeah. And it's yeah, the whole thing is very strange. Even the whole like Mark Ruffalo is that a thing do like model agents take their their clients to the dentist and then wait for them to get it done <laughs> and then if it's taking too long barge into the room <laughs> that seems that seems off to me i don't know i can see it if she was getting some sort of cosmetic change maybe maybe but i, I don't even remember what she was there for it wasn't anything huge was it i think it was like a checkup yeah that's what i thought too is it her or is it, I think it's her that like when the dentist starts acting all weird his staff actually tries to say like like you don't even need to see this patient we've had a look and everything's fine mm-hmm. so yeah it's all it's all very strange yeah so what did you think of uh, some of the kills I guess I mean I don't know they're not very elaborate but it's just weird seeing a dentist I guess going off on people yeah, I mean, I thought it, it, this movie did a really good job of playing up on that, you know, kind of fear that people have of going to the dentist, and that mm-hmm. there's something creepy about you know another person shoving their hands in your mouth and poking around, and they've got these sharp objects, and they could hurt you at any time. And I thought they did a really good job of playing with that, especially like early on with like the kid who's just there for like his first ever checkup, and just stabs him. <laughs> the kid's crying and the mom's running out of there carrying him. Like, <laughs> that's that, that, that's just not something you want to watch. <laughs> no. But I thought some of the kills were... The, I thought what he did to the wife at the end when he kind of just started pulling all of her teeth and stuff. Oh, I thought yeah. that worked. It, it didn't make a whole lot of sense how fucked up her face looked after getting her teeth pulled because I'm not really... I'm not sure how that causes a lot of bruising outside of the mouth, but yeah, whatever. Yeah. It looks really neat. <laughs> it's <laughs> creepy. Exactly. They just wanted her to look all fucked up. Yeah. So I, I, I have to say like, overall, like I enjoyed this movie a lot more than I anticipated enjoying this movie. <laughs> I thought like the kind of creepy campy atmosphere worked pretty well. I liked their performance from Corbin Burnson, who's like kind of the only person who really has to act in this movie. <laughs> um, I thought, yeah, and I thought like they did a really good job of playing up that sort of ickiness associated with dentists, mm-hmm. which is hilarious. Cause like I took my kid to his first dentist appointment this week and they're the nicest people. There's like, you go in there and there's just these people who are just like, so super kind. Yeah. And but for some reason, a lot of people seem to be scared and creeped out by them. So, uh, it is kind of funny that they sort of do play up on the uh, all of the fears that are associated with going to the dentist. Like, uh, like you said, the little kid gets like poked a lot and starts bleeding, and then uh, the model chick gets gets the super gas, and then he fondles her while she's asleep. Yeah, and then uh, his actual wife, he like just destroys her teeth with. Uh, the uh or not his wife the the other lady there was like another lady there just like destroys like one of her molars or something just for the fuck of it yeah yeah with the drill that's yeah. the the other lady the other lady that was sleeping with the uh, oh yeah yeah the 
the yeah. dog owner yeah yeah he uh yeah he just he basically yeah just did everything that you're afraid to want us for yeah well, one one by one, he, he just goes down the list of like, what are we worried about when we go to the dentist? <laughs> I will say the one thing I found super weird about this movie was when he assaults the, the model. They did a weird thing right before he put her under, where she, she touched him in an oddly sexual manner. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, well, don't do that. <laughs> you're you're coming awfully close to victim blaming here. It's like just let him be the cartoonishly evil over the top guy that he is for the purpose of this movie. You, you don't need to kind of scale back how bad he's being by sort of doing the she's asking for it thing. Hmm. So yeah. But then again, I'm I'm not sure that they were trying to send any kind of messages at any point in time in this movie. <laughs> they just want to see some fucked up shit. I'll show you some fucked up shit. So I, I almost feel like they just had like that model of the mouse that they kept reusing mm. and they're just like we got this thing we could probably make a horror movie out of this <laughs> yeah we'll make a movie about dentists it'll be great because it's like this movie jumps into it so quick like he's clearly mentally deranged before the movie starts and all it takes is him watching his wife blow a pool boy and mm-hmm. he just all of a sudden is just randomly like killing people and molesting people and stuff. <laughs> when he ends up like choking one of his assistants to death with the uh, pantyhose that he took off of the model, I'm just like, this has gone way out of control here. <laughs> he could have just called a lawyer. I mean, that would have been another option. Yeah, just uh, yeah, call the divorce lawyer. Be like, I, I saw her blowing the pool guy out by the pool. I don't yeah. think I want to be married anymore. And that could have been the end of it. Probably would have taken care of it. Because he's doing, like, the thing, too, where he's, like, muttering under his breath about how, like, oh, she'll take everything if we get divorced. And it's like, have you seen that house? If you have to go to a house half that size, I think you'd be fine. <laughs> like, it's... <laughs> it's so ridiculous. I but know. I guess... I don't know I... how it works. Like, do dentists have that kind of money? I guess maybe they do. Well, apparently he's a Beverly Hills dentist. I see. When I reread the description, they made sure to point that out. Okay. So, high-end clientele, you can charge a little more. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess they did set up that he's kind of, uh, uh, I don't know if controlling is the right word, but I don't know, he gets mad because his shirt supposedly has a stain on it, and when he points to it, you can, like, barely see a hue change in, like, yeah. the color of his shirt, and apparently that's I could, enough to I piss him I couldn't even find it. I could, you know... <laughs> that he, I mean, he's a, he's a spoiled prima donna. Like, oh, totally. He's, well, he's like, well, now I have to wear a white shirt, and when I wear a white shirt, I like these certain cufflinks, and I don't have them because they're being fixed at the jewelers. And you're like, holy fuck! <laughs> I already hate this guy, even if he doesn't kill anybody during the movie. It's like, look, you gotta like do like three things today at the office. And the one check is getting her braces off. You got to do a checkup for that model, and then just clean that little boy's teeth, and you're done. Don't worry about that's, it. That's pretty much it, yeah. If you can get through all those things without getting punched by Mark Ruffalo, it's a pretty easy day. <laughs> so. <laughs> mm. Yeah. But I mean, like, there's some, some of that stuff, it's just, it's obvious shorthand. I mean, mm-hmm. any character in a movie that wears cufflinks on it to work, you're just like, 
no one's supposed to like that guy, right? You wouldn't like any if you were at work and you realized one of your coworkers had cufflinks on, you would automatically not like him. That's how that works. Pretty much. I'd be like, ah, oh, this guy's yeah. a douche. Um, did not realize this was written by Stuart Gordon, or at least co-written. Yeah. So when his name popped up, I was like, really? Hmm. Yeah, and uh, the director, whatever his name is, Brian he involved in, he's involved in a bunch of Stuart Gordon films at various levels, yeah. writing and stuff like that. Yeah, so he produced, produced Reanimator, Reanimator, and then he actually directed Bride of Reanimator. So, yeah. Okay. They're, they're pretty familiar with each other. So, that, and I, I feel like, yeah, this feels like it is a Reanimator-esque movie. It's like, what if Reanimator was a dentist, you know? <laughs> um, which is fine. Mm-hmm. Like, that's... Again, with these kind of, like, lower budget... I, I Again, I don't know if this was a direct-to-video movie or not, but pretty much it was. And I'm sure nobody was making this thinking it was going to be number one in the box office. Like, they're, they're, these fun little horror films, I'm fine with them just getting some guy that, you know, produced some other movie and, hey, I want to make one now. All right, here you go, make this one. <laughs> again, we already have these teeth, so why not? Let's see. Does it have budget was an estimated 700,000. Yeah, seems about right. Yeah, so for for mid 90s, yeah. That's an incredibly low budget. Yeah. I think actually when you say that, uh, now I think they did a really good job of using that budget because mm-hmm. they have several like mansions that they shoot in. Um they do like that dentist's office. I don't know how it's not a normal dentist's office, so they would have had to have constructed that, I would think. Mm. Or at least re- resurfaced an existing dentist's office. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, you get several name actors in this, too, right? Yeah. Sure. Like Corbin Burnson isn't, you know, not paying him $20 million a movie, but he's not nobody either. Mm-hmm. Ken Forey and. I guess Mark Ruffalo at the time was nobody, but what's his name is here? The psychologist guy from uh, Terminator. I don't know. I don't know that actor's name. I just call yeah. him the psychologist guy from Terminator. <laughs> but he shows up. That I loved that little subplot. For some reason, I found it hilarious that like an IRS auditor was showing up and being like, uh, you know, you can either get audited or you can provide me with some sweet, sweet dental care. Like it's <laughs> the worst bribe anyone's ever asked for in the history of bribes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is weird. Like, well, you owe the, you owe the IRS money, but I'm just like, I'm not sure that's how that works. Uh, some funny things on IMDb. Uh, plot, plot keywords: married man, blonde, right. blonde hair, okay, sadistic psychopath. Yeah, that one makes sense. Uh, dentist and graphic violence. Okay. The blonde hair seems like I don't know if you can. I don't know if you could narrow down this film. If you're like, you know, the movie with the blonde hair in it, you wouldn't go, oh, the dentist. Yeah, I'd have seen that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the other then, ones are fairly descriptive. And then the motion picture rating from the MPAA rated R for graphic violence, including scenes of dental torture. 
sexuality in some language. Yeah, but they, they kept the language pretty tame. Yeah, I just love the dental torture. It's a descriptor in this movie. I feel like this would be the kind of movie where the filmmakers are bragging about how they made the MPA come up with a description of dental torture. <laughs> like they've never used that before for any other movie, you know? Yeah, you make sure you highlight that. Like on the poster, like usually there's like the little blurbs and it just says rated R for graphic violence, including scenes of dental torture, MPAA. I would put that on my poster. (laughs) Uh, Did you ever uh, watch the second one? I don't think I have ever seen it. I think I'm going to see it. (laughs) You know? If I have some free time in the next week or so, and while this is fresh in my brain, I definitely want to watch the sequel. I didn't check if all the main players are back. Like, I know they've got Corbin Burson back, but I don't know if any of the writing or directing crew is back. Oh, I don't know. Let's find out. Uh, same director, Brian Usna. Oh, there you go. Uh, let's see. Writers... Um, don't think it's the same one. Stuart Gordon gets a credit just because based on characters by. Yeah. But that's good yeah. enough, though. If they've got if they've got the director of this one back, I will seriously consider watching it because mm-hmm. this one was I, again like way more fun than I anticipated. Like, <laughs> uh, the best thing about the second one. Okay, so from the plot description, he escapes out of his mental asylum that he's put into at the end. Okay. And then moves to a small Midwest town and takes over the dentist there. Uh, best thing about it, uh, there's a character named Mr. Toothache, played by Clint Howard. Awesome. So it's got to be good. <laughs> All right, can we wrap things up so I can go watch the dentist too? <laughs> uh, that's a good idea. Uh, so I'm guessing we're recommending this. I, I am, yeah. Like it's again, it's it's cheesy B movie horror movie fun, mm-hmm. and if that's what you're into, I think you'll enjoy it. I think there's some some of those creepy squirmy moments when he's doing stuff to people's teeth that are gonna make you go like just yuck, yuck, right? But I, I think overall, it's just fun. When it comes down to the end, when he's uh, finally takes his revenge on his wife and on the pool boy, it's like. <laughs> pretty good and gory Uh, get to watch Ken Forey chase him down always fun to see Ken Forey in a movie so Uh, yeah recommend yeah I think I'm gonna be the same way it's uh it's not high art but man if you just want some goofy popcorn crunching type of movie then I think it delivers on just about all of that yeah and again, I think the key to movies like this is if they know that they're making, like, you know, cheesy, fun movie, mm-hmm. it can turn out pretty good. It doesn't take itself too seriously, but it also doesn't, it's also not a comedy at, on any level. Mm-hmm. So finding that sweet spot is key. Mm-hmm. Well, then moving on, uh, <laughs> a movie that I think knew what it was trying to be when they were making it. Uh, yeah, it did. Dr. Giggles uh, from 1992 
starring one Larry Drake, which is another connection because Larry Drake and Corbin Burnson were both on LA Law together. Look at that. Uh, so, so the movie straight up opens with a dude doing surgery. And I'm just like, why is the guy he's doing surgery on have a suit on? That doesn't make no damn sense. Oh, it turns out he's a mental patient and he's escaped out of his cell and is operating on one of the doctors in the in the hospital. And he ends up, he, he let out all the other patients and then he escapes and goes back to his uh, childhood home where his doctor was, or his father was a doctor who went crazy after his wife died and killed a bunch of people so of course he's come home he's crazy he thinks he's a doctor and he starts going crazy and trying to kill off uh this group of teenagers that's i don't really know what they're doing (laughs) just being teenagers yeah it's the last day of school they're trying to find a place to party there's a fair in town so they go there for a while yeah it always is like oh we're gonna go party and then there's like yeah like a like a carnival going on and then yeah i don't know this town's got lots of shit going on this night it, it feels like it's a very small town with a lot of things going on <laughs> uh, uh so yeah the kids uh first kind of break into dr giggle's old house and then uh, two of them get locked in there by the others to which Dr. Giggles then just murders them in hilarious ways. Yeah. He has all these uh, magical tools that are like, <laughs> they're kind of like doctor's tools, but they've been altered to become killing tools. Uh, and then he sort of gets fascinated with uh, Jennifer, played by Holly Marie Combs from uh, Charmed fame. And uh, starts going after her. Turns out she has the same heart condition that his mother died from. Or at least a very similar one. Yeah, she's got some heart condition. He's not qualified to diagnose if it's the same or not. <laughs> no, it's true. And then, uh, yeah, I was happy to see that uh, Glenn Quinn from uh, Roseanne fame and uh, Angel was playing her boyfriend. He's a horrible boyfriend, but he's playing her boyfriend. Yeah. It's fun to see him in the movie. <laughs> Yeah, it's like 10 minutes of her not being around, and he's like, yeah, I guess I'll make out with this other girl. <laughs> to be fair, she does fillet a saxophone right in front of him. Get him excited. <laughs> I never thought I'd say that phrase, but this movie drug it out of me. <laughs> uh, yeah, so... Uh, Oh, he also has this weird giggle laugh that he does that uh, yeah. is very distinct. Yeah, that's where the name Dr. Eagles comes from. Yeah. So, uh, what would you think of this movie? Uh, I fucking love this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was nervous watching it. I don't think I've seen it since the 90s. Mm-hmm. And I remembered liking it. Um and so I, 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 t- I turn it on, I start watching it, and memories start to come back. And I'm like, no, there's not really going to be a scene of a little kid cutting himself out of his mom's dead body. But there sure was one. <laughs> and I'm like, I seem to remember somehow he ends up in an operating room. I'm like, oh, right, there's one in the basement of this house for some fucking reason. 
Yeah, it's like after his dad got, I don't remember, sent to prison or killed. His or, dad, yeah, his dad, his dad got Freddy Krueger. His dad, like his, the full backstory is that his dad killed the townsfolk in order to try mm-hmm. to take their hearts to replace his wife's heart. And when the other townsfolk, the remaining townsfolk, drug him outside and stoned him to death in the streets, which is kind of awesome, and I wish we'd gotten a scene of that. Mm-hmm. But then somehow somebody went in and boarded up the doctor's office that's in the basement of the house. <laughs> the so literal, literal doctor's office where you walk in and there's like a waiting room and then yeah. and like an operating room. It's so weird. It's well, the, Okay, this whole movie is... We're going to get to some of the awesome parts, but let me nitpick it first. It's like, sure. It pre, this movie presupposes that in a small town where there's only one doctor which is normal enough that he'd be everybody's doctor, but that he would take care of everything. He's in charge of heart monitoring. He's in charge of like doing heart surgeries. It's like, that's not the small town doctor doesn't do the heart surgery. He <laughs> recognizes a problem and sends you one town over to the specialist. <laughs> that's not his job. <laughs> it's like, yeah, don't send him to the big hospital. We'll just no. do it in this guy's basement. It's hilarious. But anyways, yeah, I mean, once we get into the movie, it's great. <laughs> it's it is I mean, it's, it's a slasher, but it's it's on par, I would say, with the original Child's Play or the original Leprechaun where it's like everything is ridiculous, but we never quite cross over into <laughs> comedy territory Mm -hmm. so it's the kind of movie that I think if if you're 12 and you see it you'd probably be legitimately scared but if you watch it as an adult you're laughing out loud it walks that line perfectly did you get scared because that kid was playing uh, Dr. Mario and then he stopped looking at the screen for a little bit but you could still hear the pieces falling and you're like what are you doing you're gonna lose (laughs) oh that that, that bugged me I didn't recognize (laughs) that joystick either maybe I don't know (laughs) my video games well enough but it didn't feel like that joystick should be being used to play Doctor should have been in, like a Super Nintendo controller yeah so I don't know that was a problem for me alright well I'll jump into it what are some of your favorite kills because there's a lot of them in this movie a lot of them let's see um, so I think of the kills my favorite is it's not the kill itself that I loved Mm-hmm. But it's when the uh, when the da- uh, the girl's dad comes home and he checks the messages and Doctor Giggles has left him a message <laughs> <laughs> and it's he says he says hi the, this is Doctor So and So calling regards to your daughter and like I'm right behind you and the guy turns around and Doctor Giggles just nails him <laughs> <laughs> I fucking love that moment uh, but it wasn't a great kill it was just a great setup as far as best kills go. Uh, it's hard to say because it might it might be the the, the he, when he takes the thing that you're supposed to use for looking in people's eyes or ears and he puts that attachment on it so it goes up your nose total recall style and he stabs that girl in the brain <laughs> that one was pretty good <laughs> uh, <clears throat> what was uh Oh, fuck. I'm completely blanking on it now. There was one that I really liked, and I completely forgot which one it is. 
Was it the one where I think? Oh no! You know what I think my favorite kill was? It was the girl that was eating all the yogurt. I think it was the dad's girlfriend or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was. She was just like, "Here's a character we haven't seen all movie, and now she's alone in the house." And you're like, "Oh, good, she's gonna get killed." And you're just, <laughs> he, she's eating like this giant bowl of yogurt, like just cartoonishly large bowl of yogurt. And so Doctor Eagles shoves that thing down her throat, which is kind of like he's pumping her stomach, but <laughs> it has blades on it, so that when it and he puts it so all the yogurt comes out of her back into the bowl, and then eventually just blood starts coming with it. <laughs> that was a really good kill. Um, I think one, my favorite one, even though it's not necessarily a kill, is when he kills the, uh, like a what was it the doctor. And then the nurse is sitting at her desk, and some hands come up and start massaging her shoulder. <laughs> and then she turns around, and he literally has the doctor's, like, forearms down to his hands, like, in his hands. It was great. That's the one thing, that's the one thing this movie really nailed, too, was, like, the really fun, gross-out moments that weren't even technically kills, right? Yeah. Because probably, like, probably my two favorite moments in the movie are like a the scene of that kid cutting himself out of his own mom's body and it's done in a flashback and it's it's like black and white it's i loved it um so that one was great Uh, actually all the flashback stuff in black and white was great but that that was the highlight of it and then the other moment was when he's decided he's gonna save the jennifer character and he's got her strapped down to a bed and he's got a fucking bucket full of hearts and he's picking through them going no that one's too big and he's just holding it over her chest like no that doesn't look like a bit that one doesn't look like it's big enough uh, and they're just it, just human hearts in a bucket he's just holding it up and all the bodies are out in the waiting room that have all had their chests ripped open <laughs> so neither of those are technically kill moments but they're the, my two favorite moments in the movie by far he always has uh, really good puns too Yep. Every every time someone either gets killed or or he does something goofy to people, he of course has to follow it up with some yeah. some pretty fantastic one liners. Uh, let me see. Try to think of what the best one liners in the movie were. Uh, time to do what a doctor does best, and he pulls out a golf club and takes it with him yeah. to go <laughs> piss someone in the head. <laughs> there was there was the one where he says uh, the guy's like screaming and he's like if you're scared now wait till you get my bill and I'm like oh yeah this is an American movie <laughs> that joke only plays in one country in the world <laughs> um oh there was some other good ones too I did like the one the cop had when like the old cop that his like joy in life is breaking up the kids sex parties <laughs> but when uh when they first get the call, because there's like a lady who hears Doctor Giggles moving around in his old house, and when when they first get the call, and, and the the new rookie is like, "Oh, should we be worried?" No, it's a call from so and so. She sees a rapist in her hemorrhoid cream. <laughs> <And I'm> like, <laughs> I think that that's a, a traditional colloquialism anywhere in North America. It feels like he made that up just for this movie. <laughs> Uh, one of the weirdest scenes to me is the two teenagers at, at I think her house where the kids playing, uh, Dr. Mario downstairs. Yeah. 
and is that uh, the guy brought his mom's lingerie with him so he's trying to get his girlfriend he's trying to get his girlfriend to dress up in his mom's lingerie and I'm like what the fuck that whole scene is so (laughs) fucked he's First of all, he stole his mom's lingerie out of her suitcase when they were leaving for vacation. And he's making jokes about how his dad's probably all frustrated right now because his mom's not wearing this while he tries to convince his girlfriend to put it on, which is (laughs) fucked. And then she's like, look, I'll wear this if you agree to wear a condom, which is not a reasonable trade-off to start with. Yeah. But then it gets weird because then he goes in the other room to put the condom on. I'm like, that's not like, usually how that works. You don't, don't you don't come you dressed. Don't. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> uh, very, very strange scene. But then it did result in that girl walking out of the laundry where she got killed, so yeah. that was fun. She and then him gets the, the total passed out. And then him uh going in and climbing into bed with who who he thinks he's climbing into bed with her, but it's actually the doctor <laughs> and you get you get another great one-liner where he says, I hope you have protection, and then yeah. pulls out a scalpel and laughs at him. I love that <laughs> moment where he's, like, crawling through the, the sheets, and he flips it up, and there's fucking Larry Drake laying there. <laughs> As if you wouldn't notice the sheet, whether it was him or the girl underneath it. <laughs> yeah, obviously the same size. That moment, too, is, like, this. it's the proof that the filmmakers knew exactly what they were doing. Because after we get the great one-liner, you know, uh, Hope You Brought Protection, we get that scene, and it's, like, the, the camera is, like, above the bed looking down, and it's got that big, bombastic, doom, doom, doom music, yeah. and it's pulling back. And when it pulls back, you realize Larry Drake has cut the guy's dick off. And all the, <laughs> the only blood stain is right there. <laughs> the camera's, like, moving as it pulls back and showing it to you showing you from different angles like that's great that is awesome film. <laughs> uh, yeah this movie is way better than it has any right to be it's just it's so much fun I'm really disappointed in myself for not watching it like a lot more in the last 20 30 years. <laughs> it's gonna end up in your rotation now it, it needs to be uh I don't know any other favorite moments besides the whole movie. I mean the whole movie, but I really like the parts where they're running around in, in the uh, house of mirrors. <laughs> the one bitchy girl is like just just running. We had to watch her run right into a glass wall. All that stuff was fun. <laughs> yeah. I guess yeah. the fashion, the flashback stuff was particularly well done. I thought yeah. kind of surprisingly well done. When you see the scene of like Doctor Giggles' dad and then Doctor Giggles as a child like laughing together over their mom's body and stuff, you're like, "This is just creepy and weird." <laughs> it's so I can, gross. Like, I can understand why people would be very upset watching this, but for some reason, it's making me happy. Yeah, yeah, it's good. This this is a great like party movie. Everybody yeah. have some drinks, watch this outlandish movie, and then just have a great time with it. Like as I was watching it, I literally started texting like my buddy from high school, who I don't see very often anymore. But we used to sit around and watch these kinds of movies together. I'm like, how long's it been since you watched Doctor Giggles? Because holy shit, it holds up perfectly. <laughs> and he started texting me back pictures, for screenshots from the movie. <laughs> I'm like that's great. <laughs> that's awesome. So, I, I, 
Yeah, like I, I legit think this is going to be the kind of movie that I watch a lot more often. We'll see whether that holds true. You'll forget. You'll forget for the 20 other movies that you've been wanting to put back in your rotation. That's the problem. <laughs> yeah, there's too many now. I forgot how good the cast was, too, though. Like, we've mentioned a lot of them. Like, Clifty Young is in this place, the dad. He's one of those guys that just keeps showing up in these cheesy kinds of movies that we review. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, he's perfect for these types of, of roles of the dad in this movie. That's just the kind of role that was written for him. I forgot that Dougie Doug was in this. I know, right? I was like, is that Dougie Doug? What the fuck? <laughs> like, so, of course, Dougie Doug one of my favorite actors in the 90s for obvious reasons cool runnings exactly (laughs) (laughs) glad you understood that alright I thought you were going to bring up that stupid kid and play movie he was in a kid and play movie he was in one of the kid and play movies where they went back to high school and they switched characters with each other wow kid became play and play became kid I don't think I watched that one it had a. It was them and Dougie Doug and a special guest appearance by Polly Shore. It was very, very 90s. I do not recommend Jesus. anybody try watching it now. <laughs> this should just be called 90s the movie. <laughs> I, I can only assume it does not hold up at Dr. Giggle's levels. I thought you were going to talk about he was in the, that Cosby TV show, like the one he did after the Cosby show where he's like old dealing with neighborhood children which is probably not good for him now that we know what we know about Bill Cosby I don't even remember that shit yeah it was on CBS I think it literally was just called Cosby and Dougie Doug was like some some guy in the neighborhood like he wasn't related to him but he was always around so I don't remember what like what his relationship to him was some weird sitcom relationship yeah yeah but all around uh good movie definitely worth a watch if you've not watched yeah, Dr. Giggles stop now go watch yeah honestly like you should be watching Dr. Giggles instead of listening to us and I know some people like because podcasts are something you take with you might be listening at work that's fine your, your boss will understand. Just watch Dr. Giggles <laughs> right now if you can. <laughs> oh, I'm going to have to propose. We're going to have to do a Dr. Giggles uh, commentary at some point. I would love that. <laughs> Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at Pod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to themidnightdrivein at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Uh, so did you watch anything else? I know we have at least a couple movies in common that we both saw. Yeah, I know. I, I was going over the list and I'm like, oh, most of this stuff I know Brian's also <laughs> watched. Um... I'm literally looking at the list now. Okay, I know you watched that. I know you watched that. You probably watched that. Um, so how about Fractured? <laughs> did, you, did you watch that? <laughs> I did not. All right. Well, that's good because it's not a very good movie. 
Um, oh, is that the one with uh, Ryan uh, Reynolds? Or not Ryan Reynolds. Ryan, uh, fuck, what is his name? Ryan Gosling? No. Oh. It's uh, Sam something that was in Terminator 4. Ah, okay. This is the new one that's on Netflix. It's on Netflix. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's one of these ones where guy gets a head injury in an accident and his daughter's also hurt so he rushes to the hospital this is the basic plot line mm-hmm. um, falls asleep in the waiting room while his daughter's gone for a CAT scan wakes up you know ghost asks how long it's going to be till his daughter comes back they're claiming his wife and daughter were never there so the big mystery of the movie is like is something going on something that's, uh, has somebody kidnapped his family or is he imagining all of this because of the head injury he had at the beginning of the movie uh, and the reason the movie's not very good is because it is super fucking obvious right from the get go <laughs> that everything is being imagined and that he everything's in his head so mm. the center the central mystery of the movie just didn't work for me on any level yeah um, and then to top it up there's kind of like a secondary mystery which is okay when did he start imagining these things because they tease a couple of different things that could have gone on um you know like there's there's he almost gets into a car accident on the way to the hospital and there's references to these people who were killed in a car accident and stuff so you start to think okay maybe his wife and kids survived at the beginning but then they were in this car accident or maybe they got hurt here or and it's never really clear where the wife would have gone because it was only the kid that was hurt in the original like fall down incident that happened at the beginning of the movie but then like okay so spoiler alert the movie totally fucking cheats at the end (laughs) and invents like a whole other story that isn't one of the things they've teased Mm. and you start to realize like oh like some of the stuff they teased was just in there so at the beginning there's this thing where he's like at a counter buying stuff and because of plot contrivances they're at it. the only gas station in North America that doesn't accept credit cards so he can only buy what's uh, what he can afford with his cash and that leaves him the choice between <laughs> buying some amounts of alcohol to pour into his coffee that he's getting or buying the batteries for his daughter's radio mm-hmm. and he chooses to buy the alcohol and then later we get this teasing moment of like there was a car accident possibly hit by a drunk driver we know that he was almost in an accident and stuff so you're thinking like okay so maybe he was the drunk driver that killed these other people but then he wasn't but then why did we have this whole scene of him buying small amounts of alcohol it was just there so that they could try to mislead us and you're Mm. like well why did you waste my time with this movie so yeah it's not I mean like a lot of the atmosphere of the movie works okay they're kind of in this creepy old hospital and the acting's fine it's just when the central mystery of the movie doesn't work then it isn't worth your time so Hmm. see I thought you were going to talk about a movie called Fracture with Ryan Gosling where he plays with Anthony Hopkins yeah yeah so that's what I, I was getting confused that, with. Uh, yeah, I saw that one years ago, but I don't remember well enough to comment on it. Hmm. Well, it's a bummer because it's been popping up on my uh, 
Netflix, like, hey, you should watch this. Yeah, that's literally why I watched it. I, for the first time in a long time, had enough free time to watch two movies in a row. And when the mm-hmm. other movie I was watching ended, it was like, come on, come on, watch this. And I was like, all right. So <laughs> that's how I picked it. Uh, hmm. So I'm just trying to think if there's anything else here I watched that I don't think you've watched. <laughs> Once we get into the stuff we both watched, then we, oh, okay. You've heard about the time that Kurt Russell's dad started an independent baseball team from scratch just to see if he could? Uh, no, but I did see you posted about that on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. So I watched a documentary called The Battered Bastards of Baseball, which uh, was on Netflix. And it is literally about... So, I don't know if you know much about how sports works, but <laughs> in, in I used, baseball... I, I used to play baseball. So, yeah, so, but yeah. In, in professional baseball, there is literally no independent teams left mm-hmm. in the United States. Every, every single-A, double-A, or triple-A team is owned by a major league franchise, and they're used strictly for the purposes of grooming players so hopefully they'll eventually go to the major leagues mm-hmm. um, so back in the 70s Kurt Russell's dad who was like I, I, knew, I knew he was an actor apparently he was on Bonanza for like 13 years so he ended up hmm. doing pretty well financially and he was, he was in a bunch of other western stuff um, so he had a little bit of money and so he went to Portland and started an independent baseball team basically just a team that was not associated with any major league team with the idea of seeing if okay since we're actually a team playing to win and not just playing to get the players ready for somewhere else and since we actually have to you know finance ourselves can we make this work and he put together this sort of weird ragtag team of like guys that never quite made it or guys like maybe were getting a little too old so they weren't being given chances anymore even though they might still be able to play they had one or two guys that had actually played major league baseball but they for one reason or another were no longer like one of the guys for example was uh, no longer welcome in major league baseball because he'd written like a tell all book where he acknowledged some of the things that go on when players are on the road so he gets this group of guys together carries a like a, a ridiculously large roster knowing full well that some of these guys are just gonna like crap out and starts trying to do all sorts of wacky weird shit to sell tickets <laughs> <laughs> so when, when they would sweep a series like it's quite common when you sweep a series that like a mascot would run out with a broom or something uh, so for the Portland Mavericks if they swept a series their star player would uh, run around with a broom and then light it on fire Stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Perfectly makes sense. So, anyways, yeah, so it's like, it's a pretty interesting little documentary that follows it around. We do get Kurt Russell commenting. He actually played for the team. And so we get him talking about his dad a lot, talking about how crazy this was. It really helps you understand. When you see Kurt Russell in interviews now, he's very much like a, like almost like a libertarian kind of attitude towards anything that they ask him about. You can kind of see how how being raised by this guy would have gotten him to there. Um, <laughs> so it, it's just one of those wacky little stories where you're like, who in the fuck would start an independent baseball team 
in a time when there are no other independent baseball teams. It's just crazy. And so I don't know if that if that story interests you at all. I'd recommend it. Um, hmm. Sounds it's a little outside. It's a little outside the wheelhouse for what we normally talk about on this podcast. But, Seems almost like a real life slap shot type type situation. Exactly, exactly. That's what it's like. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like at one point they had like a dog, and they would let the dog loose on the field when they felt like their pitcher needed a break, so that they would. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like I, who the hell would do that? But these guys would do it. <laughs> and there is like there is kind of this. It's a bit of a heartbreaking ending to the movie where. It, they really had their eyes set on winning a championship and uh, the way it works in, in a lot of sports is as the season gets moves on teams will send guys down right like so mm-hmm. if, you're, if you're your pro team is knocked out of the playoffs they'll send some of the players that are eligible to be sent down they'll send them down so they get a few more games in before the end of the year and play with the lower ranked teams so they ended up playing like a team full of guys that were just supposed to be up at higher levels and not weren't supposed to be in this league and they ended up losing the championship to them so it's kind of a sad story and then they were just kind of ceremoniously swept away through some weird set of rules about how somebody else can just come in and claim your baseball territory (laughs) it's that part I found very strange it's like so I guess like there's these weird rules in baseball where it's like if somebody wants to move a a triple A team into an area and there's no other team there they can just kind of do that and they just they're required to give you like a payout but they can just take over your territory Hmm. I didn't it didn't really make a lot of sense to me. No. But I don't know. I don't know that much about it. I know they, they there was some stuff in there about how baseball has somehow become exempt from antitrust laws due to certain court decisions that have passed through, and so that's why they can get away with doing things like that. Hmm. But I, I don't I don't know if I missed some of the specific legal reasons why they could do that or if it just wasn't in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's weird. Anyways, yeah, I just thought that was a weird story, so I enjoyed watching that documentary. Yeah, about it. sounds good. I may even get over my hatred of sports and watch it. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, it's not like it's you're not sitting down and watching a sports game. It's nah, following these, these characters and stuff. So it is weird. I don't like to watch sports, but movies about sports like major league and uh stuff like that like i can get into yeah well i definitely like i love movies about football and i only like i'll watch football from time to time but it's mostly just an excuse to sit at the bar in the afternoon on a sunday kind of thing <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't i don't really like love the sport i don't follow it but movies about it oh yeah for sure I, for some reason they always seem to work for me nice and I think everything else I watched that you have also watched so let's start doing the list Uh, I got one episode of Creepshow into me so have you seen Oh, I didn't get a chance to watch either one so now I'm two behind oh Oh, really okay so I haven't seen the newest one but I saw the one that we were complaining about not having seen last week 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it, it's still going strong for me. I really liked it. Um, so I've heard some people say it's the third one was their favorite one so far. So it, it might be my favorite one. It's right. so I, I, you know, I don't want to spoil it for you too much, but the the, the first. It's it's got the two stories, and the first story is a very traditional Halloween story. So, I I kind of like that they just decided to do that. I like when anthologies decide to take on kind of a, their own take on a, a traditional tale, and I thought they did it quite well. And the second one is just super weird and wacky, hmm. and I liked it a lot because it was fucking crazy. And maybe we'll discuss them. If you've seen them by next week, doesn't that? Yeah. But yeah, like it's. I'm super happy that I'm watching Creep Show now. I wish it wasn't week to week, but on the other hand, I'm kind of glad that I get to watch it as sort of standalones. Yeah. I yeah, get stressed it, waiting for it to come on. That's the only problem. <laughs> it it is weird going back to having to watch week to week, but then actually kind of enjoying that you're watching week to week. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not going to go here and say anything to the effect of like I'm glad that some of the stuff is going week to week. I wish it wouldn't. Yeah. You know, especially with it, something like Creep Show where it is anthology style. I could choose to watch it week to week if I wanted to. Yeah, but I think when we get to like, I'm thinking the Disney Plus stuff is going to drive me nuts if we do week to week. Yeah, which sounds like what they're doing. Yeah, and then angers me (laughs) but they don't probably care what I think Uh, I'm sure they'll cry themselves to sleep on their giant piles of money well especially because some of that money will be my money so (laughs) it's not like I'm not going to get it because I'm not happy with the way they behave (laughs) Mm. they'll specifically grab your money to wipe their tears like this is Doug's money it's a guy that was bitching. <laughs> uh, all right. So what's the next thing I watched? I, I I know you watched this one. I watched El Camino. Mm-hmm. The Breaking Bad movie. I forgot that it was released, and I saw someone was watching it. I'm like, ah, oh, fuck, that's up today. Well, I know what we're watching like right now. Yeah. No, I was I was actually like anticipating it. I was like coming home from work on Friday, like excited to get the chance to see it. Um, so, what'd you think? Were you happy with it? Uh, I, I'm happy with it. Uh, I know there's been some people who are kind of disappointed. I think they expected a little bit more, but I feel like it was a good sort of cap to to get rid of the last questions of the end of Breaking Bad. Yeah, I mean, it It really just felt like an extended Breaking Bad episode. Um, mm. I feel like like what what went on in this movie really would have been like a three-episode arc of that show. Yeah. You know, you would have probably had, had to add in a couple of things about what was going on with the other characters or whatever. Mm. But it, it really felt like just like, hey, let's... It picks up right after the... Uh, right after the events and it carries you right through mm-hmm. thought everything worked I thought everybody did a good job of just jumping back into their characters yeah um, it was a it, it's a bit funny because like, 
it's nobody's fault, but some of these guys just don't look exactly like they looked a few years ago. Uh, you can just say Jesse Plemons is fatter than he was when he was on the show. Yeah, and so is Aaron Paul. Um, and you know what? Like it is what it is, right? What are you gonna do? Hmm. Jesse Plemons was like the most drastic one, though. Just like wow, this dude. I mean. You know, it happens to the best of us. But Jesus, that's supposed to take place, like way back. All yeah, right. yeah. I noticed. I noticed it mostly with Aaron Paul, I think, because he clearly has by far the most screen time. But mm. it's just—I don't know. And it, again, I was—it didn't bother me. It was just one of those things I noticed, and I'm just like, yeah, there's nothing you can really do about that. It's not like a. A Breaking Bad movie made on a Netflix budget is going to de-age every character, right? So. <laughs> it's not like Netflix would do that for a movie. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. Yeah, well. <laughs> I guess when your name's Scorsese, you can do whatever you want. It changes things, I think, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I, I feel like it was just... It was even shot the same way as a Breaking Bad episode. Mm. There's the one scene where they're rolling up the body in the in the rug, and just the way it's shot, like down at floor level, with it kind of rolling towards the camera, I'm like that felt like a Breaking Bad shot. Like if I saw mm. that shot in some other movie, I'd be like, oh, they did that like Breaking Bad. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, I I was really happy with the, with that. I. I don't. I didn't have very much expectations going in, so the fact that it is just literally another episode of Breaking Bad made me happy. Yeah, yeah, I was super happy. Uh, I loved seeing uh, Badger and Skinny Pete again. Yeah, those two were pretty much my favorite. Uh, of course, when Jesse escapes, like I never really thought about it. I'm like, well, where does he go? Like at the in the last episode of Breaking Bad, I'm just like, oh, he's free. But I never really thought about like. Okay, well, now what the fuck is he going to do? And so, of course, the movie, the first thing he does is go to Skinny Pete's house. It is like, dude, I got really fucked up. I need help. Yeah. So I was super excited to see them. And then uh, uh, they sort of formulate a plan to to get him so he can get out of there. And I just, I loved that scene. Like, we were sitting there watching it. And Skinny Pete comes up with this plan. And then he's like, he's like, what do you need? Do you got any money? Do you need money? And then Skinny Pete just pulls out this giant wad of cash out of his pocket and gives it to him. And then tell, tells Badger to do the same thing. And I'm just like, dude. I'm like, that's friends right there. That's that's a dude who's just like, anything you need, I got you covered. Good old Skinny you know what Pete. I, what I like about this show, too, is that... Like somebody I saw online was like, "Well, how the fuck would those guys have all that money?" And somebody else is like, "Um, because they agreed to point a laser pointer at some rich people in the last <laughs> episode of Breaking Bad, and they got paid a shit ton of money from Walter White right before he died." And it's like, "Oh yeah, right. This is yeah. right after that, so they would still have that cash in their pocket. Mm-hmm. Makes total sense, yep. right?" When bought a giant TV and like yeah. an Xbox, <laughs> they still had all that cash left over. Yeah makes complete sense exactly and it's uh, and there I, I feel like there's probably a lot of that stuff in this if you go through because mm. even within the episode there was like there was moments where it's like uh, think about the the two cops come in and and uh, Jesse's tearing up the apartment looking for cash 
And when those two cops come in, and the one guy, you get that great scene where the guy's like holding Jesse, or I guess Jesse's holding him hostage at that point. And the, he goes, call to your partner. When he calls out, like, lieutenant, lieutenant. And you see the other, the look on the guy's face. And you're like, oh, shit, he's not a lieutenant. Like, mm-hmm. you, right away, you're like, what's going on here? Something weird is happening. And you're trying to piece together what's going on. And I, I loved all those moments. So I, I have a feeling yeah. if you really watch this movie over and over again and completely analyze it, you'll eventually find a bunch more things. Yeah. Yep. It was just as genius as Breaking Bad was. Like, everything in it I was, like, totally on board for and loved it. How much did you love the part where he shoots the guy through his coat and his jacket catches on fire? Oh, I totally... (laughs) Number one, I totally called that. Like, Amanda's like, oh, my God, what's that? I'm just like, hold on, just watch. And then, yeah, boom. Yeah, I I think it was pretty obvious he was going to shoot him and stuff. Yeah, the catch it on fire stuff was hilarious. Like, uh, your coat's on fire. (laughs) <laughs> they uh I only had one real disappointment with it and I mean this is like when first world problems disappointment with it uh so we got plenty of flashbacks but no Saul which I was disappointed with no Saul yeah I mean he's got his own show I guess so I mean you don't really need to but yeah no Saul, nothing to do with uh, Walt's family at all. Mm-hmm. But, okay. That was kind of fun. Yeah. Um, and I guess my other one, which I was joking about on Facebook, was that uh, the only thing that would have made this better is after the credits, just a shot of Huel still sitting in the hotel room waiting for Hank to come back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think that would have been amazing, but... Yeah. But apparently Vince Gilligan didn't think of it. Uh, he had a lot to think about. I really <laughs> liked how all, all the flashback sequences were all different people telling Jesse to get his shit together and move on with life and stop with this drug dealing stuff. Mm-hmm. And then the whole plot of this episode is him doing that. Yeah. Like, I, everybody tried to fucking tell you. You didn't listen. <laughs> By the time you listened. Yeah. Yeah, it was really good. I really... I really enjoyed yeah. it. There's some of those... There's some of those that... Uh, you just kind of watch it and you're like, Ugh, I don't know. The the last episode of Break Bad was kind of perfect. I don't know if we need to to possibly ruin it with, with a follow-up. Because at least with uh, Saul, like Better Call Saul, it's completely detached, so you can just do whatever. And yeah. then, yeah, it's all flashback, so, I mean, it doesn't really change anything. Um, but yeah, but then this came along and it was, it was perfect. It was, it was the perfect way to, uh, sort of answer the questions that were left unsaid. Yeah. Now, do you think with that all said, what would you think of the idea of them doing a more? Um, well, I I know Aaron Paul said that there's no, there's not going to be a sequel to this. That they essentially just wanted to tell the end of Jesse's story, and then that was going to be the end of it. But I mean, I don't know. Maybe it'll be, maybe it'll do so well that Netflix will back up a dump truck full of money and yeah. everybody will the, want to the do way, it. I don't know. The way it ends, like, I mean, you set up like the similar to Better Call Saul. You could mm-hmm. do a completely separate thing with just this one character carried over. Yeah. So. 
it could be interesting in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he's so far removed from everything that went on in that first one that he's... Yeah, I just... I don't know. I don't know if... It, like, Saul was a good... A good spinoff. I feel like it's detached enough that you didn't know enough about his character on Breaking Bad. Yeah. That you're filling in a lot of those gaps, and it's actually really fascinating. And it's still not even really infringing on the Walter White story. So, like, everything's still okay. Jesse, I would be worried. I don't know. It's hard to say. It, yeah. I, I would be interested in spending more time with that character just to see how he gets past kind of his PTSD and stuff. Because mm-hmm. I, I really liked at the beginning when he first escapes and they're doing very first blood type flashback sequences to him being in the cage. Mm-hmm. And he's clearly all fucked up. And then he kind of gets over that and moves on really quickly. And I think the question then becomes, okay, so what happens when he is now like he's moved on to Alaska and he's just sitting quietly in a room by himself. Does that all come back? Is he really past it all? I would think that you could play with that quite well and if you had, you know, breaking bad quality writers and directors, mm-hmm. you could do some really interesting things with that. Mm-hmm. But I'm also perfectly fine with them leaving as is because it is kind of the perfect ending. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. So yeah, if, if anybody hasn't seen it yet, obviously it's a big recommend from us, but watch all mm. of Breaking Bad first if you haven't seen that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's no point in even watching it if you haven't seen Breaking Bad. No, that was the one thing, and we're, we're about to say this again in a few minutes, but as much as I liked it as a standalone, it was not good. Like, it's it's only <laughs> good as a sequel to Breaking Bad, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that... That, of course, transitions to the other thing I know we both saw, which was the Jay and Silent Bob reboot. <laughs> yeah. Dare, dare I say, uh, made specifically for fans of the original Oh, film. yeah. Necessarily. Yeah, if you are not a fan of Jay and Silent Bob, like, I don't even know why you would go see this movie. <laughs> Nothing would no. make a lick of sense whatsoever. And I think the fact, the way they're releasing it they know that right yeah like they're they're the main way like I think it, I think it's playing like two nights in theaters and then after that if you want to see it you pay 50 or 60 bucks to go watch the movie and then have a Q&A with the actors after mm-hmm. and it's like yeah they know they know that this entire movie is made for a very specific audience I've, I've been saying for years that I think Kevin Smith makes movies for an audience of two and luckily I'm the other guy so he's like, as long as Doug and I like it, then I don't really care if anyone else does. Well, I don't even know if he uh, even thinks that much. He was on, uh, he was on late night with Stephen Colbert, and he basically said the only two people clamoring for this movie are me and Jason Mewes. Yeah, and I, but you know, I don't know. Like, I'm emotionally attached to these characters and to. Story, uh, I mm-hmm. was, I loved the movie, but I don't, can't imagine why anyone would ever see it. Like, if, <laughs> I think if you if you want to see it, you're gonna like it. If you don't want to see it, don't, 
there's nothing in it that's designed to win over a new audience. Mm -hmm. I was thinking of it because the most fascinating thing about the movie for me is I know Ben Affleck was a late addition because mm -hmm. he wasn't supposed to be in it. Kevin Smith will happily tell that story if you want to learn it. <laughs> Google it, he'll tell the story. You can probably find 12 different versions of it. Yeah. But knowing that he was a last minute addition, his scene ties the movie together so mm -hmm. and, yeah. and I'm like, I don't understand how this movie even existed without that scene in it. That's the part that blows my <laughs> mind. Like, yeah. and, there, and assume that means something else got cut in order to make room for this, but mm -hmm. it's... I love yeah. it, and it was probably my favorite scene in the movie too. I thought it was funny and it mm -hmm. was touching. I liked revisiting. I don't. Even, I was thinking about that too. He's playing Holden McNeely from uh, Chasing Amy. I don't mm -hmm. even think they give him that name in this like, movie. I don't think they even tell you that. You're like, we just assume you've seen all those other movies enough that you know which Ben Affleck character this is because <laughs> the way he's dressed or whatever. And you're like, yeah, I do. I do know who it is, but it's very, very specific. Well, you do know because the great moment when they are running from security and they run into the room and shut the door and lean their foreheads against it. And then from behind them, you just hear, look at these morose motherfuckers right here. And then it's just like, oh, that's it. <laughs> He's here. I, I wish that I didn't know Ben Affleck was in the movie coming into that scene because mm. that would have made me so happy. Because I'm such a sucker for, like, these fucking Jay and Silent Bob movies that, like, I'm genuinely happy that Kevin Smith and Ben Affleck are friends again. I know. Even though I'm not friends with either one of those guys, but it's just, I don't know what it is. I, I see yeah. that, like, I, I think it goes back to, like, when I used to listen to the DVD commentaries from mm. the old movies. Uh, this is exactly what I was getting ready to say. And I was going to say, if you're like me, you listen to the commentaries and like yeah. th those were everything when they came out on DVD. Yeah. And I, I just, I completely felt like that was just a group of me and my friends watching a movie talking about it. Mm. And I always, you know, like, I don't know. I, I, I always had a connection with these guys and it works. And, you know, plus I love the fact that Ben Affleck for all the shit that he's been through the last few years is totally willing to just make fun of himself and definitely he had my favorite line in the movie I guess you know which one it is <laughs> I don't know if I should say it or not but uh, yeah so whatever for people who haven't seen the movie if, if you don't want it spoiled at all but for a line scene, a joke about another movie <laughs> yeah there's there's a scene where like Ben Affleck's character is giving he's become a father and he's it plays into the whole plot of Jay becoming a father, but he's giving a speech about how great it is to become a dad. And he says, um, you know, you, your whole life, you've been Bruce Wayne. And all of a sudden you realize it's not about you anymore. You're not Bruce Wayne. Now, now you're Thomas Wayne or you're Batman's mom, whatever her name was. I don't know. It slips in my mind. And I just started <laughs> to laugh my ass off in the movie theater when he said that. <laughs> and it's like, you go back to those memes that were going around about sad Affleck being like told on camera about how shitty <laughs> Superman, Batman v Superman was. Yeah. And now you look at it, you look at him here now being able to joke about that. And, you know, on a meta level, knowing that he ended up like back in rehab and shit after that movie came out and didn't do well. It's like, it's good to see that he's in a place where he can make those jokes. Yeah. <laughs> then he proceeds to, you know, 
go through and make it list off all his other movie titles and stuff. <laughs> it was all fun. Yeah, I yeah. I've, I've always been a big Ben Affleck fan. Even when uh, lots of people kind of turned on him for some reason. Like, the dude became popular, so he's like, I'm going to accept every movie role that's given to me because that's they're offering to give me, like, $4 million, and that's yeah. fucking $4 million that I, that I d- didn't have when I was sleeping on my friends' couches. And I was just like, hey, you do what you got to do, and when, <laughs> when the opportunity strikes, you got to take it because people will forget yeah. you, like, next week. So I never had a problem with him making all these really shitty movies. But I'm just happy that <clears throat> the bromance is back together and that he is just seems like he is on a Kevin Smith set is where he is probably most happiest, which is awesome. Yeah. Well, have you seen he because Kevin Smith and Jay Muse got their got to put their hands in the cement in front of that Chinese mm. theater. And uh, have you seen the speech that Ben Affleck gave at that? Uh, no, I think I saw it and I have it saved to watch later, but I haven't watched it yeah. yet. I watched it and it's I don't know it reads like he he now recognizes that he uh, and maybe he, maybe because he's a good actor he's full of shit I don't know but it really it, it, it seems like he just now knows that um, he now knows that he owes a lot to Smith and that he kind of mm-hmm. appreciates that time in his life more mm-hmm. you know that yeah. Maybe, maybe he realizes maybe it's more fun to do movies with your friends than it is to try and do the biggest movies. So yeah. Although, from what I heard, Affleck was the bomb as Batman. Yeah. As much as I'm sure he wants to, that'll never take a take over Affleck. You the bomb in Phantoms. <laughs> so, minor spoiler for the YouTube clip that I just recommended you watch. <laughs> but somebody yells out, "Affleck, you the bomb in Phantoms, Joe," and he goes, "Yeah." Today is actually the last day that I'm accepting that joke. I never want to hear it again. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw Kevin Smith. Maybe it was on Smilecast. I don't know. I heard him somewhere. Where he was talking about how pissed off, like, you know, good-naturedly pissed off Ben Affleck was after James and Bob Strike Back. He's like, you know what shit I got to deal with every day with people yelling at me? Affleck, you the bomb and phantoms? I think it's like the guy's an Oscar winner and now he's got like he's he's won what best writer and best director at the Oscars yeah. and he's fucking you know he's made some other really good movies as a mm. filmmaker not just as an actor and uh, he's got to just walk down the street and just have that shit yelled at him <laughs> I mean on the one hand you gotta love being that being that guy that fans think they can approach and who they care that much about a character you played very briefly yeah. <laughs> a long time ago but on the other hand it's like god damn it so good so what so what did you think overall like were, were you satisfied with the movie was there anything you were kind of uh eh about um so the Matt Damon scene mm-hmm. I liked it as a standalone scene it, I thought it felt yeah. a little forced yeah um, I can see so that that part doesn't really add anything and it just kind of comes out of nowhere yeah yeah but, th- but then again I would be upset if 
Matt Damon didn't make an appearance in the film, so mm-hmm. I, I, I guess it comes down to the fact I'd rather it feel forced than it not be there. Yeah. Um, is there anything else I didn't like? Not really. I kind of liked it all. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so I, actually, I, w- I, I thought the, the the more dramatic scenes with uh, Harley Quinn Smith and JMU's acting against each other were mm. surprisingly good. Yeah. Like, like I, I know that Harley Quinn is only in these movies because her dad's the director, <laughs> but she was fucking good at mm. doing these, the dramatic actings. And there's like, she has to like cry on camera and stuff, and she's better mm-hmm. than I expected. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. I've only seen her in fucking yoga hosers and stuff where it's, it doesn't demand that level of uh, mm. dramatic acting. So, I was well, pretty impressed with her. I mean, she didn't have much to do, but she was in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. So, you know, supposedly she's been wanting to try to become more of an actress, I guess. So she's yeah. been trying to do some stuff outside of that, but yeah. The big reason she's got such a big part is definitely because of who her dad is. Well, yeah, I, I mean, there's no secret about that. Like, Hmm. Again, I guess, like, minor spoiler, Kevin Smith yeah. shows up as Silent Bob, but also as himself in the movie. And there are several lines of dialogue where people point out that he puts his friends in the movie. And he make, at one point, like, Harley Quinn's character is actually complaining, I hate this guy, because you see what he does? He forces his daughter to be in all his shitty movies. <laughs> and it's like, all right, they, they know. Like, nobody oh, here yeah. is pretending. And that's, this whole movie, like, there. I've read a couple of the negative reviews and stuff, and they're all like oh he's just like going to the well and he's just and it's like yeah they fucking know they know exactly what they're doing they know they're making this movie just for fans Kevin Smith has pretty much openly admitted that like yeah I put my daughter in everything because I like working with my daughter because they're like they have a good relationship that's nice Uh, you know I understand why that can be frustrating to somebody who's not a fan because I'm sure it would be frustrating to me if I didn't like all these movies (laughs) but (laughs) just don't watch it like these movies are not made for a mainstream audience they're made for a very specific audience Mm -hmm. yeah and that's i was kind of worried going in because i'm just like i don't know if this is a good idea um i was kind of bummed that uh i guess he feels like he has to go back to his old tried and true stuff where for at least a couple movies he was just trying weirdo Concepts that he was just interested in, like Tusk and Yoga Hosers and stuff. Yeah. Um, so I was worried going in. I was well, like, well, I don't one know. Of the, one of the things I've, like, Kevin has said constantly, I mean, he, I'm sure he says a lot of things constantly because he never stops talking. <laughs> yeah. But he, yeah, he has said, like, he's at a stage in his career where he can just make the movies he wants to see and do what mm-hmm. he wants to do. And yeah. so, like, yeah, I think he wanted to do this. There's no secret that he wanted to do. First, he wanted to do Clerks 3, mm-hmm. and Jeff Anderson wouldn't sign on. And then he wanted to do Mallrats, but that just didn't work because they couldn't get the financing together. And then he kind of went, well, I want to revisit this world. And guess what? If I do it as Jay and, with Jay and Silent Bob, I can do that. I own those characters. I can do whatever the fuck I want. Nobody can say no, right? Mm-hmm. So he does it does it on a lower budget so that he doesn't have to it's not a big risk for anybody involved and he does it 
just to get all his friends together, you know? And it's it's literally just like the number of people that show up in this where you're just like, oh, oh, yeah, right, he's friends, with, he's friends with Chris Jericho again. Yeah. Like it's yeah. you're just like oh yeah like we we mentioned that they do each other's podcasts so I guess it makes sense that they beat each other's <laughs> movies too I, whatever yeah. right yeah so like I, I was saying I so I was worried I was worried going in I'm like I don't know yeah I, I just I'm kind of scared to go watch it and then it'd just be awful and I'd be like ah oh, fuck um but then you know I got like 15 20 minutes into the movie and I was just like you know what? I'm having a fantastic time catching up with these characters that we haven't seen since 2006 with Clerks 2. So then I just kind of let that anxiety kind of subside and just went with it and, you know, just absolutely had a great time. And I even posted on Facebook, like when I got home, I got on Twitter and just said, you know, tag Kevin Smith. And I was like, you know, it was it was great catching up with these characters again. And I just said, thank you. And, uh, he gave it a like, so I was super happy just, uh, just to let him know that I appreciated it. So, yeah. So I ended up having a great time with it, which I did really honestly did not think I was going to, but you know, it was awesome. I would definitely recommend if you're a Kevin Smith fan, it's the highest of recommends. Yeah. If, and if you're not, Stay away from it. It's not for you, right? It's yeah. I don't. This isn't a situation where Martin Scorsese needs to go see it and then complain about how mm-hmm. this isn't real cinema. It's like, yeah, that's fine. Like you're, it, it's these aren't for everybody. No, oh. there, there's a million jokes in this movie that unless you've seen all of Kevin Smith's stuff, you just won't get. There's yeah, and it's a million jokes that you have to have seen those movies and not just seen them once. You know, mm-hmm. if you saw Jay and Silent Bob strike back in theaters and haven't watched it since, this this movie's not going to make a lot of sense to you. No, it might eventually. <laughs> yeah. It's I, I had I had a great time with it, but I acknowledge that. Mm. I mean, it's if me and my friends made a movie, this is how it would turn out. So. <laughs> be lower much lower quality if we did it it's but the idea of just a bunch of jokes that are just for us Mm -hmm. and i don't know how you were like back in the day with kevin smith movies but like i used to obsess like over everything in his movies there was like websites dedicated to like the timeline of events in his movie specifically like julie dwyer dying in the swimming pool and how that yeah. happens at the beginning of Mall Rats, but we first learned about it like in the middle of Clerks. And so then, like, you know, the timelines of characters and this person went to this school but dated this person. And, you know, there's like all this stuff. And you used to just pour over that kind of stuff. And every time a new movie would come out, you'd think, like, okay, well, how is this? Is this person connected to, you know, this or whatever? and everything and so it was fun like on my drive home just sort of reflecting on all that stuff and just remembering like how excited i used to be about that kind of stuff and how all that stuff kind of pays off in this movie and just uh yeah just his he he created the cinematic universe before every studio wanted a cinematic universe and it was yeah a lot of fun when it was just like the internet was just starting 
to really become big and you could just dive into theories and timelines and like all this other stuff it was just it was a lot of fun and I definitely got to relive that watching this movie yeah yeah I don't, I don't know it's I, I again it's like if it's your thing it's your thing and mm-hmm. that whole shared cinematic universe that he created back in the day and if you watch this movie he starts bringing in his other cinematic universes because now he's got several cinematic universes <laughs> so it's like he starts tying them all together in this and you're just like yeah good I want them all to exist in the same world and I don't <laughs> think there's anything that says they can't mm-hmm. yeah um, yeah oh the, bi- the big thing that I was like sort of nostalgic for was because uh, they did some clerks comic books back in the yeah. day and there's specifically a Jay and Silent Bob like series that explains how they got from chasing Amy to the beginning of dogma. Right. And so and they sort of touch on that a little bit when Jay's talking about how they went to, uh, they went to look for Shermer, Illinois and found out there wasn't a Shermer, Illinois. And then yeah. we got mixed up with these two angels. And so it was just fun. Like thinking about that stuff again, like, Oh, that's right. They went to Shermer, Illinois in the comic book. <laughs> And then, and then ended up yeah at the outside the the abortion clinic in uh, Dogma. I forgot about that. It's, it's so ridiculous that there's a comic book explaining how they wandered out of this movie to this other movie that are clearly connected in no way, except for the fact that those characters come across. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's just it's fun going back into all that stuff and just sort of reliving that. Uh, since he hasn't put out a view of universe movie since 2006, I think it was just kind of, I just kind of forgot how much fun it was sort of digging into that kind of stuff. And then, yeah. uh, got a good reminder when I went and saw this movie. Yeah. And now it looks like clerks three is officially a go. Finally. Mm-hmm. Looks so. like Jeff Anderson's going to come out of what he calls his retirement, I guess, to do it. Yeah. Which, I mean, have you heard the plot description? Because it sounds awesome to me. No. So, basically, yada, 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 it goes full circle, and the clerks decide to shoot a movie at the convenience store that they're now running, and effectively make the movie Clerks, (laughs) thus creating a vicious time loop (laughs) within this U.S. universe, and I think that sounds great. (laughs) That seems about right. Uh, that's funny. Uh, we did get lots of uh, awesome clerks nods in this movie too. Yeah, some that make no real sense whatsoever, but it's still fucking hilarious. At the very end, when <laughs> when Dante shows up to work again, and he's. I don't, again, I don't know what I should spoil and what I shouldn't, but he goes up and you see him like go to the, the fucking lock and he's like, oh, and you're like, oh, a bunch of savages in this town. But then partway through the credits, it clips back and Jay's like, every day for 25 years, I've been showing up before this guy gets to work and putting cum in that lock. <laughs> I'm just like, fuck me. That is amazing. I love the idea that they keep going back there. 
<laughs> and at this point, like after Clerks Two, they're like stakeholders. Like they, 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 re- they need that store to be successful in order for them to get paid back their money. <laughs> and yet, ah, fuck it. <laughs> it's so funny to put to put gum in the locks. It's fine. And there's there's something about the way that all of those characters have grown, but yet haven't grown at all. It makes me really love <laughs> <lucky. laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I think uh Holden McNeil like summed it up perfectly when he's like when Jay says something absolutely ridiculous and he's like well, seems like you've matured about as well as I thought. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. So, recommend if you're if you're a Kevin Smith fan, yeah. uh, go watch it as soon as you can. I mean, honestly, it, it's so ridiculous because we're sitting here literally saying, like, if you're already planning to see it, you should see it. But if you weren't planning to see it, don't see it. <laughs> yeah. Like, you don't. You don't need our opinions. No, movie. it's no. going to guide you in no way. I'm just saying, if you were like me and you're a little hesitant, just get over that shit and just, just go. Yeah, it's going to be a great time. There's going to be people who complain, of course, but yeah, fuck them. All right. Did you watch anything else? That is it for me. All right. <clears throat> Uh, we've been continuing our Nightmare on Elm Street rewatch. Uh, we got to watch Nightmare on Elm Street 3 this last weekend. Uh, not much to say. It's fantastic. I think we've said before, you could argue it's the best one of the series, and I don't think people would, uh, disagree with you. Uh, absolutely love it. Uh, then I watched, uh, Candyman. Which, uh, turns out I've never seen before. <laughs> I, uh, thought I had seen it, and then I was like, I haven't watched that in a long time. So I pulled up on Netflix and watched it, and I'm like, wow, I don't remember any of this. So I'm assuming I've seen one of the sequels, and just didn't realize that it was a sequel, not the original. Sounds right. Yeah. So, thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, it's pretty fantastic um yeah i don't know it's candy man what else what much else do i need to say about it but i really ended up enjoying it uh i'm gonna watch the other two even though i i already know they're it's a huge dip in quality so uh yeah i figured i'll run through the series and that'll catch me up for the new one that's coming out that uh jordan peele's producing that apparently has already been shot and done. And then the rumor is uh, Tony Todd's in it. And that it may actually not be a remake. It may just be a sequel. Which I was super excited about. Yeah. So we'll see uh, how it Yeah, I'm going to be curious to see what you say about the sequels. Because I... I pretty sure I've seen all the Candyman films, but not any of them recently. Mm-hmm. Someone told me the second one's pretty good, but the third one's pretty awful. So we'll yeah. see. It's been so long since I even watched the first one that I wouldn't want to comment on it. Mm-hmm. Well, I would say it's worth a rewatch if you uh, end up getting the chance. I will 
do my best. Uh, and the last thing I watched is a movie called Bliss. And it's by a filmmaker I really like called Joe Bagos. He did a movie called Mind's Eye a couple years ago that was very uh, Scanners-like that I really enjoyed. Um, So this one's called Bliss. It's about a female artist in L.A. who's sort of just... uh, She's supposed to be working on this piece for somebody who's already paid her for it. And she's not... She's kind of having a creative block. She goes out with a bunch of friends does a bunch of drugs has a bunch of weird sex and then wakes up uh in her apartment and the painting has started to be worked on like there's stuff she didn't remember doing that's now in the painting and so this whole thing turns into this weird uh just weird drug-fueled sort of Journey that she finds herself on, and some really weird shit happens that I feel is spoilery, so I won't say too much about it. But uh, just the more the stuff gets crazy, the more of her painting that gets finished that she doesn't remember doing. So it's just, it's kind of interesting. I feel like uh, if you did a double feature of this and Mandy, that would probably be a pretty good double feature. Uh, I wasn't a huge fan of Mandy, but I feel like there's a lot of Mandy in this movie, but I feel like stuff happens at a little bit quicker of a pace, which I enjoyed. So, I don't know. It's I would recommend it, but I mean, I feel like it's a very specific kind of movie. So, I guess watch at your own risk. But, yeah. You have not convinced me to watch it, nor can have you convinced me to not watch it. So no <laughs> okay. provided. <laughs> well, there's some weird stuff that happens that I feel like changes kind of what's going on. So, okay. yeah, I don't want to go too far into it because you're just like, whoa, oh, so that just happened. Okay. And I feel like it becomes about something else after that. So, but yeah, it's just uh I don't know. It's a weird, interesting, definitely an art piece of a movie. Kind of like, I guess with Mandy, just the weird lighting colors and strange shit that happens. But like I said, this one I feel like is a little bit quicker paced. So maybe it caught my, held my attention a little bit more than what Mandy did. Okay. I haven't seen Mandy yet, so. Oh, really? For some reason, I thought you had seen it. Some people love that movie. Uh, yeah, some people loved it. I just I didn't get why everybody was drooling all over it. But I don't know. I know some people. You know, I would kept try I kept it. trying to watch it, but some people love Nick Cage, right? Yeah, which I do. For a long time, I actively avoided Nick Cage, and now I don't actively avoid him anymore. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now I just seek the. Uh, appropriate roles to watch him in. Hmm. Fair enough. Um, so this wasn't, like, I liked uh, Joe Vegas' other movie, Mind's Eye, better. But he's actually got another movie that's coming out soon that uh, I think just premiered at uh, Beyond Fest in L.A. that I cannot wait to see, and I think you will, this, this synopsis will get you into it as well. 
So the movie is called VFW. Do you have VFW halls up in Canada? So what's a VFW hall? So VFW stands for Veteran of Foreign Wars. And okay. it's, it's almost like a club that uh, you can only belong to if you're a veteran. And they're like actual buildings. Most of them have a bar in them. So a lot of veterans. It's, it's, nowadays, it just seems like it's a bunch of older guys that just hang out at this bar all the time. And there's like a giant, usually like a big old space that people can rent out for like yeah. birthdays or. Yeah, uh, we have we have like, legion halls up here. I think it's okay. the same thing. Yeah, okay, that's that's pretty much the same thing. Uh, so this movie is called VFW, and it's about a uh, group of war veterans that have to end up defending their VFW uh, when a drug dealer. Uh, is he's I think a another like young teen or whatever runs and tries to lock themselves into this VFW, and of course this drug dealer and his minions show up to try to try to get the teen back. Uh, okay, and then uh, he has a group of uh, punks that work for him, and from what I heard from an interview with him, it's like the punks take some weird tainted drug that almost turns them into like infected zombies, but he calls them like mutants. And then they're trying to get into this VFW. So all these old dudes have to like defend this place against mutant, a mutant punk gang trying to get into it. All right. Um, so the veterans are played by Stephen Lang from, uh, Avatar and Don't Breathe. Yeah. Uh, Martin Cove, who's the bad guy from Karate Kid, the bad karate instructor. Okay. Uh, William Sadler, who's just awesome. Uh, David Patrick Kelly from The Warriors. Uh, George Went. And then Fred Williams. Then Fred Williamson. Did you say George Went? I sure did. Because, spoiler alert, I forgot to tell you, George Went is also in Bliss. It's a very small part. All right, I'm sold. Yeah, so all these old army dudes have to fend off infected zombie-esque mutant punks. Uh, he described it sort of like Assault on Precinct 13. <laughs> Yeah, I was actually thinking Assault on Precinct 13 yeah. when you were describing the uh, plot to me. Yeah. Yeah, I have not been able to find a trailer. I don't think there's a trailer out yet. But, like I said, it just premiered, and I believe, yeah, Fangoria it picked it up for distribution through their uh, distribution arm. So I'm very excited to see it. I can't wait. That actually sounds something like something I would really want to watch. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm so happy. So, we'll have to see. We'll have to see uh, whenever it finally comes out. Yeah. Uh, remind me that I'm supposed to watch that one. <laughs> yeah, I'm on the IMDb now, and they got a couple pictures. I mean, it's not really it's just people standing around, but yeah, I'm excited. I didn't realize Fred Williamson was looking so old lately. 
he's just looking old. I think he might just be old. Yeah. Well, he's got like a gray beard going. I figured he'd he'd dye that shit. Apparently, he needs to, apparently he needs to play army veterans that are hanging out at the BFW when mutants attack. So he's gotta <laughs> look his age. Here's a brief glimpse of some of the truly fine pictures we've scheduled in the near future. Uh, so next week, we're gonna try to keep the horror stuff going. We're gonna watch a couple episodes of Masters of Horror. Uh, which sort of ties in this week to this week's show. Both the episodes are written by Stuart Gordon, uh, and that would be Dreams in the Witch House, and then uh, Black Cat, which has Jeffrey Combs playing Edgar Allan Poe, which I'm excited to revisit. Yeah. Uh, I'm really looking forward to the Dreams in the Witch House is one that I think I didn't love the first time I saw it, so I'm curious to revisit it and see what I think about it. Yeah, I haven't watched it since I originally saw it, so definitely interested in checking it out. I remember it being very, because, uh, you know, it's a Lovecraft story, so I feel like they did a, a good job with the Lovecraft stuff, but we'll have to see. Well, it could be an interesting week. Of course, Noah will be back, so... <laughs> Use the word jackass a lot more times than we did this week. <laughs> Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater. And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night.